Hey, welcome back to Invisible Machines. Fun episode today, an episode that kind of began back in season one on episode nine when we had an incredible conversation with Aveta Sampson, who is uh, the director of user experience with machine learning over at Google. And she was telling us about a bot over at IDEO where she used to work uh, called LotBot that was, was helping uh, people find parking spaces in a tight parking lot but it also managed to ruffle a few feathers. Uh, and, and we just, Rob and I wanted to know more, obviously. So today we're having a great conversation with the people who built LotBot. Uh, we have Danny DeRuntz, who's Executive De Design Director over at IDEO. And then we're also speaking with Jenna Fiesel, who is Senior Director of Emerging Technology. This is a cool one because it gets tactical. Uh, Rob and I wrote a whole book about designing experiences using conversational AI, but we haven't had a lot of chances to talk about what it looks like to do that work. So so this one gets a little tactical. We talk about the way there, well, there's just a lot of design decisions that go into creating bots that can have all sorts of unintended consequences. And then there's the very notion of, of what happens when a bot like LotBot, you know, just keeps gaining more and more capabilities and sort of starts to resemble a digital twin uh, of an organization, maybe a digital twin of IDEO that can do so many things you start to wonder why it's called LotBot anymore. And that kind of leads to the question of, you know, when do the edges, or how do we how do we maintain, I guess, sight of the edges as there are just so many bots in our lives and all these bots are communicating with one another and things start to get a little fuzzy. Uh, also, they start to get pretty interesting. So we dig into those uh, topics and some other stuff too that's pretty fun. So stick around. And let's get into our conversation with Danny and Jenna. Uh, well, Danny and Jenna, thanks so much for joining us on Invisible Machines. Uh, I feel like we have a lot of stuff that we could talk about. Um, one thing that comes right to mind, though, uh, when we were speaking with uh, Oveta Sampson last season, she was talking about LotBot and specifically about some of the challenges that came up as, as LotBot was given kind of a, a, a grumpy personality. Uh, and I think that would be really exciting to get into, but I, I think we'd also maybe, if you wouldn't mind taking us back to kind of the beginning of LotBot, we'd love to kind of learn about uh, how it was conceived and designed and iterated on a bit, because we, we do spend a lot of time talking about, you know, conversational AI on this podcast, but I don't think we've had any really good conversations that just kind of go nose to tail on on a project like this. So if, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to hear more about LotBot. Okay. Yeah, it's like it feels like it's a tree ago. Um, yeah, I used to um, work in this sort of like little group um, at a company, IDEO, where I work. Um, they had a, a division called, well, an offer, if you will, called Collab. And it was like a collaborative sort of model um, of consulting where we would work for like, a, I don't know, a network of, of partners. Um, to work on more like ecosystem level challenges. And we were looking into lots of things about blockchain, um, AI, VR, et cetera. And I think we, we kept trying to, you know, figure out this thing about, um, uh, digital twins. Like it's kind of like, it's like, it's probably, maybe it'll come back like as metaverse picks up, but this idea of like, uh, objects that can have self ownership, which is like a, sort of a blockchain conversation and then like how could you interact and talk with them which is sort of an AI thing and we were like um, always having these struggles at our building with parking because it's like a super scarce resource 
Um, only a few people have dedicated spots and it was like really unpleasant for everybody involved to sort of like navigate that, you know, like you're basically asking, can I get a spot? Hopefully somebody who has one and didn't come in that day, like would notify somebody of that. And then you're talking to like our experience folks who like help manage the, you know, our, our work experience. And like, it's always kind of like, it feels good when they can give you a spot and it just felt kind of awful when they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, oh, let's just like take a crack at like giving this to a robot. And we had been doing experiments with computer vision. And I think it started with like this thing of um, cargoils, which was like, can we just like train a camera in our parking lot and then like just know if there's spots and then talk to that camera essentially. Um, yeah, so I guess that's where it started. Um, we initially made it like that. It was actually called Lotbot in the Cardwheels. And so it was a chatbot using Google's dialogue flow at the time. And it was a little Slack bot where everybody would talk about and discuss parking spaces. We just said, let's just move the whole thing right into that channel. And then we took the camera. Um, a, a, a colleague, Todd Vanderling, he's like a computer vision expert. Um, made the cargoil and the cargoil you could also chat with. And so what would happen is you'd say, Hey, is there a spot available today? And the lot bot would, I don't know why we did this. We could have just <laughs> like figured it all out back in, but lot bot would say, Hey, cargoils, are there any spots available? And then the cargoil is like, I don't know. Let me take a look. And then we'd look at the spot and then it would talk back to lot bot. And there was this like, uh -huh. idea of like, can we just expose the whole plumbing right into chat as if it was <laughs> like people talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthropomorphizing the system. Mm -hmm. Well, cargoil is a great name too. You don't you don't want to let that go. Shush, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it did like unfortunately what happened is the cargoil started to just like die off. The the at the time the refractive properties of car paint made it kind of tricky to like. Uh -huh to do all that we wished, like to be like, this is so-and-so's car, et cetera. I think these problems are like probably a little more behind us now, but the cargoils have not made their relaunch. Um, however, just the chatbot has. Yeah. So that was like the origin story of like spinning up a bot. Um, and it used to be, um, I'd say like an hour and a half. It seemed like of work each day for somebody to like navigate these really complicated matrixed calendaring systems. Okay. Keep track of spots. And it felt like, ah, oh, it's so easy for us for a database thing to just like figure out, oh, I'm going to use the car from like, we we never got this granular, but the thought I just need it for two hours. That's like crazy to, for a person to manage all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, ad hoc, but for the, you know, for a bot, no problem. Like, put the timestamp, somebody else asks, asks and says a time, no problem. So yeah, so we used uh, Dialogflow as just a normal chatbot. Um, and then over time, it it had always been spicy. And in Dialogflow, the way that it works is like, it has like a small talk thing you could enable that uh -huh. lets people kind of like kick the tires on it, you know? Like mm -hmm. the, everybody's gonna wanna like test your- Yeah, play break the bot. Yeah. And then you can rewrite most of the small talk. So basically I would just go through it all and write all these sort of like 
like almost memed versions of everything <laughs> um, and then had it like kind of militantly crack down on anybody who is trying to like do anything off script so like so, so so like we had the managers who needed to be able to like overrule the system and like assign parking spots but we didn't want your general public yeah, like telling people like it's not your spot so what we didn't want at the time was like, I I have spot 10. It's like mine. So I will give it to someone, which right. which is chaos. <laughs> so basically the bot would figure out if you're like an administrator and if you are not and you are telling people they could have your spot, it would kind of like rip rip into you a little. Yeah. <laughs> and it, surprisingly, people, I feel like that was like the, the, the sticking favorite aspect of the bot and people just like fight with it and argue with it and seem to really love <laughs> love that that's interesting because i my my wife and i had a small business for a number of years and there was a small parking lot in back and it was kind of in a hard to park area of town so it was like this coveted lot and the the lot attendant there was was very aggressive like very similar to how lotbot sounds i mean he would it didn't take you know about 10 minutes before he would stick something on your window that took you know, a razor blade and goo gone to remove. So, so that's interesting that you chose the anthropomorphized version that, yeah. that at least aligned with uh, the parking attendant that I came to know quite well. But parking spots are definitely a big time social currency. I, I, I uh -huh. UC Berkeley, who's like our primary funder, um, yeah, uh, for our company is ha like that. Pretty much like unless you're a laureate, you can't park on on the campus. Like there's just a spot, a, a parking area for these guys. So, so I'm not sure if, if they're more happy for, for becoming a laureate or, or for getting a parking spot on the campus. I'm not sure which one they take more pride in. So yeah, park, parking's a thing. It's, it's, it's a social, it's, like, like badge. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was sensitive, you know, like that. I think the, the premise, I, I did have like a little bit of a little thesis in it, which was like it felt bad to tell people no. And I was like, I yeah. think we can tell them. I, I'm like, I think I can tell them no and they'll like it, which was basically <laughs> like making the bot like a little bit like kind of weird about it, you know, like, man, there's so many things to break down there. So I'm just going to go through. I have like five, five things you just glossed over that I think are hugely profound. Um, so the first, the first one is uh, that machines, like your IOT network, so to speak, was using natural language and that you decided to have uh, the cameras in essence speaking to the bot in natural language instead of using JSON. Um, I, I wonder if at the time the implications of that, like you guys really like uh, were aware of at that moment to go like, whoa, wait, what just happened? No more APIs? all machines just talking, but in a way we can understand so we can be in on the conversation as humans. Uh, anyone can see what the camera said to another camera. Like, why shouldn't we be in on the conversation? Um, I always use an example of like a tricycle with a two-year-old, a truck and a car all going to a blind intersection that's a stop sign. And if this if the tricycle was smart and the cars could all talk to each other um and and they could just say hey 
I, I, you know, I'm a tricycle with a three-year-old that's out of control coming through this intersection and both cars just stop. Um, that's amazingly cool. And that's a world I think we'll be living in soon. But the idea that they all did it in natural language so that the parents could have been in on the conversation and now see that this is all happening in real time and that humans are not excluded from the machine to machine conversation has this huge trust component. Um, and, and I think we just assume machines should talk to each other in the most efficient way, but why, like, why can't they be both? Right. It's, it's kind of like the days we designed databases for a scarcity of storage and then kept those structures, even as storage became cheap, you know, uh, it's the same idea. Like, you know, we have bandwidth, we have fast processing, we have NLUs getting into the, you know, milliseconds of response time. Why can't we just slap natural language on our APIs and we don't have to do integrations anymore and and we can explore functionality out there and you can have multi-turn conversations. Like, I don't know if the camera was multi-turn. I doubt it needed to be, but it could have been like, hey, is this spot open? Which spot? Oh, spot, you know, seven, uh, no. <laughs> or I can't tell right now, I'm getting a reflection come back in five minutes, five minutes later, it comes back like this. This is like a profound shift in how all of our software works. Just something you threw in there and said, ah, you know, let's, let's just have the camera talk. Um, was it, was it something that afterwards you guys riffed on and went, oh my God, what if the whole world was like this? Or was it just sort of playing around? I I, I'm not going to pretend like I had, you know, was thinking like that far ahead <laughs> as much as like, as much as just like, honestly wondering what it was like to see the plumbing. And then, yeah, I guess like, I, I guess I had like sort of a small minded approach there in the sense of like, I wanted to not have to monitor the system, like through all these like okay. logs and cloud logs and, you know, like, it's kind of like hard to like, if I'm going to make this thing it'd be so nice if I can just like keep an eye on it by just being in the Slack channel. And like it basically all of its computer logging is just happening in the chat. So if it breaks, right. it's like the conversation is like wrong. You know? Right. So I, I guess like my real motivation was somewhat out of convenience, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I just wanted it to be a chat that I could like pay attention to. Yeah. Um, I had the false theory that that would make it, so that many other people could like administrate it. Right, right. And, and it's I inclusive think, in a way, you know? I I thought it would lead to somebody saying, oh, I can manage Lotbot, but it like did not. It's still too... Yeah. We weren't there yet. And I, I do wonder now with the new paradigms, like, you know, to do to do real work on it, you do have to code. But now I, I do wonder if like the sort of window of people who could like inherit a tool like this. Yeah. I mean, what if that camera shipped with the ability to talk? What if they just shipped it with the ability to talk so that you didn't have to, you know, create that, that interchange, right? That, that sort of, you had some conversion layer from API to natural language that you had to slap onto that camera, but why, why couldn't it just ship? with natural language with models today it might even run on the processor that's in the camera itself, you know, <laughs> for sure. And yeah, yeah and it was like, too. It was. 
Yeah. It's like crazy to think you just bring an object home and it starts talking to the other objects in your house. Like, and that we could be in on that conversation. Like, shut up guys. I'm trying to sleep. Like you're talking to your lamp. It's like having a conversation with your, you know, alarm clock, which is your phone. And it's like, Hey, should I turn on in the morning? Like this guy never seems to wake up on just the alarm itself. Yeah. Let's try that tomorrow morning. You know, Oh wait, his pulse was a little too high. Let's, 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 let's try dimming the lights a little bit. <laughs> and you're like, no, you guys stop. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> it's just, just imagining just this like dialogue that sounds a lot like this podcast, but between me and like the objects in my house um, and, and them talking to each other, just kind of a crazy, crazy world. And, and I think everything happens in that way. We're talking to Don Norman, like, um, and, and, and it, it, a lot of these ideas, they don't, they aren't born from the, this grand idea that, you know, that we all just, you know, suddenly like you imagine the whole world, you know, and, and it's objects talking to each other. And then you created Lopbot to prove it out. It happens like exactly in the way you said, where you tried it, it just occurred to you, you know, to solve a problem. And then all of a sudden you just sort of stumbled onto something and, and and then someday you're on a podcast trying to explain your genius to everybody. Um, Wait. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, but that's how it goes with all these things. Um, uh, I was actually, um, I had a long discussion uh, with the founder of Siri um, and uh, Adam Scher, and we were, were working on a, a a Harvard Business Review article together. And, um, you know, he was talking about the early days of Siri and all of the things that, you know, he had sort of designed and imagined. And a lot of it was stripped away uh, when it got included in iOS. And um, and you can see, you know, just how much was just a journey for him as well. And, and how many of these things were like intended um, I think the first version of Siri before Apple bought it, they demoed this idea of looking at your email client through uh, Siri, a conversational UI, and just constructing your emails and not needing to be in an email client and saying, yeah, this is the end of our, our apps, right? I'll just talk to a single UI on all of our software. And, um, and so to expanded like not just all of our software that humans interact with but all the software that machines interact with each other as well you know really all software being conversational is like just massive massive um shift in how we leverage technology that i think no one could really even today see all of the ramifications of it but it's funny how these things do start with parking space problem <laughs> yeah i think the um there's this really interesting opportunity that i think we're right in the middle of um with this expansion of understandability of component systems right like um if i'm if i'm like sort of reflecting on the evolution of programming um, going from ideas of like objects and inheritance to functions is a huge a huge shift that has unlocked like tons of power and no. paradigms like that original conception of Siri and things like 
the cargoyles talking to Lotbot, which talks to you. Yeah. In a lot of ways, those are function calls, right? At a really like high level, sure, um, abstract place. Yeah. And I think the sort of power of systems like large language models is going to help people, you know, not just speak in natural language, but also start to think of components of systems as performing jobs, as needing information to yeah. accomplish tasks and maybe help everyone get sharper in their thinking about, you know, what what is actually needed in order to accomplish something. So I think even though Jeez. I suspect and I personally am definitely speaking to my technology in words that feel closer to English than, you know, typescripts yeah. these days, um, I, I'm, I guess I kind of hope that some of those um, more abstract mathematical concepts like leak into the public imagination and ways yeah. of being in the same way that we all know how to talk in Google um, because we've been we've been learning how search works for, for yeah. so many years. Uh, we've been talking about this a lot um, and I think the precision of language uh, uh, the English language versus coding and um, and I you know I, I think it's kind of interesting like sometimes natural language is not precise enough um but then then you kind of have to add this multi-turn component so whenever we think of apis or machines talking to machines we always imagine it in a single turn you know one transaction and and so precision becomes more necessary because because you only have one chance right so it's like you got to walk up to this person and you have you have one chance to tell them what you want and if they don't understand you, that's it. Like next person, right? Um, you don't get to have a dialogue with them. Um, and, you know, we just take this for granted as, yeah, that makes sense, but it doesn't at all. Um, Multi-turn APIs make a lot more sense where we, where it says, oh no, I'm gonna need this information. Like, uh, you know, hey, you know, cargo oils, I, I need to know if a spot's available and it's like, I, I don't know who are you <laughs> oh you know I you know I work for Pepsi like yeah these are spots are only for idea employees um you know these kinds of back and forth and, and machines will will need them too and so I think designing these interactions to be multi-turn helps like uh helps us with with using language that's less precise but also we talk about the precision of coding languages as being really valuable and the fact that we had to invent them so that we have this precision when we know exactly what to say. Like whenever you start taking your, you know, computer science class and intro to coding, the first thing they teach you is how to slow down your thinking and be more granular about, you know, providing a very clear step-by-step instruction. Like it's not just go close the door, it's pull your chair out, stand up, left foot, right foot. Like you, you have to give all these very specific instructions or else, you know, the machine's not going to know what to do. And so we go, okay, that's why we created these languages. The English language isn't precise enough or we wouldn't have to invent these languages. But then you have the flip side to it, which is, oh my God, do I have to spell everything out for you? <laughs> like there's just things yeah. that we just should, the machine should just know, like we don't, why do I have to be so precise on everything I say? So now we have finding this balance, which I think could be pretty interesting where we get into hybrid languages of English and more precision and, you know, like 
it's, it should be interesting to see how this all goes, but I just, I find it super fascinating. You're the first person I've ever talked to that actually decided to make the camera speak to the bot yes. to have that it, it middle layer at that time. And, uh, I still have people that when I say, you know, we're facing the end of APIs, most people s disagree with me, <laughs> I, which actually boggles my mind. I, 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 I don't understand how they can, can see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 again, do, I do like the idea accidents. of like a certain, no, I, I was thinking about, um, you know, like the old version, like Lockbot has a thing that's like multi-turn built into it because it's using dialogue. Google's stuff has this thing called slot filling. Yep. And it's basically like it can tell which variables are missing and it will uh -huh. keep, it'll press for them. But what I've noticed with uh, chat models, like uh, one of my peers made this really awesome payphone, basically an arcade game that's a payphone. Um, it's installed in a room near a gas station in Chicago. And it's like full of like these techniques of multi-turn. Like it's basically they're you know, the chat model is trying to get you to like, you know, fill out a form essentially so that you can like navigate this, like this game and, uh, the mixture that, that he ended up using of like both, you know, a little bit of these like dialogue routing mechanisms, but also just the chat model being aware you didn't answer the question yet. And the fact that it will press you for it and, yes. you know, the way he writes to like not move forward until they've answered the question. Right. So it, it's kind of cool and it's it's interesting how accessible this multi-turn thing is to everyone mm -hmm. now. You, but you have to be thoughtful about it. You have to like, you're still programming it, but you're just, it's 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 natural. I guess yeah. you're saying- And as that camera don't. increases in its functionality, it's just automatically available. Like you don't have to go, oh, let's integrate that new feature. It's just, it's just language. So, so as- you just have to tell the system to ask for that that new thing. Like, is it sunny? What's the weather? All of a sudden, now it can it can it can offer that up without you know some without you having to you know spend a week integrating this new functionality. Um, this is a crazy thought. New cameras can be added. Other people could potentially from across the street add their camera into the into the conversation um it's just it becomes super super interesting the other thing you mentioned which is crazy to me is digital twin um this is a concept again that i feel like is really really leading edge at the moment and it's i i think you you kind of mentioned it in a way like a lot of people think very anthropomorphic about digital twin or even literal is probably a better word where it's like a physical representation in the digital world of something. But I like to think of digital twins in more of like the digital version of something. So what is the digital version of IDEO? It's not a physical place with offices and doors. It's parking spaces, people, events, customers, projects. It's, it's a lot of things that are not physical and tangible that can be portrayed in the physical world, which also could be doors and a map to an office. But this idea of the system having access to this twin parking spaces being just the beginning, 
and saying, hey, is there a desk available? Is there like you just can sort of what I call it is going from low resolution to high resolution, like parking spaces is a really, really low resolution digital twin of IDEO. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's just got the nodes in the graph that are like parking spaces. But what if you just keep feeding that more and more information uh, about the, and that twin goes from low resolution to high resolution. And now all of a sudden Lotbot is managing projects and, and, and getting coverage for people who are sick and, <laughs> you know, like it really, it, we can see how something so simple and such a simple start could just evolve into something so incredibly transformative. Um, but from your opinion, like what what prevents that from happening right now? Like why why is Lotbot in Lot Jail? <laughs> in Lot Jail. I I'm gonna like I'm gonna try and kick over to Jenna because like interestingly as we. To a lot of the things you're saying are kind of like they're really funny because Jenna made a digital twin of IDEO with the oh. whole yeah you know, like as part of the like as we were thrust into Zoom we, we kind of forget how much all that tech evolved yeah but it was actually pretty sparse and like not that great for like a, a little bit <laughs> and so people were trying to figure out all these ways to like have presence again so Jenna explored this but also has set up and run an entire lab called um, with with other folks and true they can give attribution um, called XR Wave, which is just like diving into all this metaverse, yeah, sort of um, challenge, right? There's so that there's technology, there's tools, there's new ways of thinking, um, and it kind of all like rotates around all this. But yeah, yeah, I love that idea yeah. of like thinking about the metaverse as how you could explore in VR, like through the physical like dimensions of things, but also language is a way to explore places too like totally yeah yeah i think um a lot so there's like the practical reasons to augment physical spaces with digital information there's tons of those they're like really meaningful um but i think i have also through this learning group through um even like Danny, do you remember that pipeline visualization we made on that weird display we had left over from a project once? Like, if I'm thinking back on what has stuck with me, it's often the more like emotional or communal or transformative ways of combining digital and physical, or at least spatial and digital um, experiences together. Um, and I think there's there's like very cool things you can do to reflect um, like emotion and, and adjacency um, well. with these tools. So that uh, the, I did simulate a physical studio in a digital way, sort of used the, the language of like board games and an axonometric projection. And then some uh, relatively new tech at the time, WebRTC to give people peer-to-peer well. -peer connections to each other. Um, and invited all of my colleagues to come, you know, to our studio. I had uh, relatively painstakingly recreated our carpet patterns and some other things that made the wow. studio feel inhabited. And then I had my colleagues um, tell me what they remembered most about the space. 
Um, and then I would model whatever those objects were, or um, if they had the skill, um, they would model those objects. Um, and we incorporated them all into this place we could, you know, it, for some level of meaning, inhabit together. Um, and we we would, you know, you could have a, a meeting in there. Um, or uh, one day we all got together and we ended up playing leapfrog because the way sure, that sure, the sure, avatars sure. worked, uh, the the traversal was sort of like click somewhere and then you jumped to that position and uh, everyone realized you could literally play teleport. leapfrog with each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was which was quite fun um and and heartwarming and you know you know i think you could argue not like terribly practically useful but a, a way of of being with other people right um mediated through this this digital digital interface um that who needs that really practicality anymore ais are going to do everything <laughs> for us so we'll just go on I, zoom and play leapfrog yeah, we'll do with the each fun other stuff. yes <laughs> I liked when Jenna also reminded me of you talking about the, you know, like there's digital twin and then there's just like this mutation of information. Like when you said pipeline, so you're going to have to call us out. Like we might be using a lot of insider speak. Pipeline yeah. is just like, um, uh, the, the, you know, the clients and things that we're going to be working with or the I opportunities, know. right. That, that, and like, there was this notion in our studio that like nobody could, it was really hard for people to like have a sense of like essentially all these opportunities that they could start to like ruminate on or get excited about. And so we, we just wanted to like turn that into like a vibe. Okay. <laughs> and the, the idea was like, we had this weird half moon display, super strange, very heavy structure up in our ceiling. And it was like, we're just going to put up all these like shapes of meaning that like will just sort of convey the energy of potential. <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> but um, I, I guess like what's kind of interesting to me in that is just how the all these new models in the generative AI space are really good at translating information. No, it's not. And it, we don't. It doesn't have to be like natural. It doesn't have to make sense. Sense, right? Like, right. It can just it can just change, and then you can, it can hit you in a totally different way. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we uh we yeah. I mean, it's a explosive world. I mean, I just I think whenever we talk convergence, it's always really like it's really hard for people to wrap their heads around that because you have like okay, wait, everything's going to talk to each other, machines, humans, we're all just going to be in one big conversation. Our things are going to talk in that conversation to us. Great. But there's now going to be this like awareness of all those things to the physical world, like the the work we're doing, the parking spaces, the carpet, the potentially the the fading of the carpet to your point on the pathways that people walk to know like which you know which path they take most commonly um to, you know, uh, one UI for all of our software so we never have to pogo stick and, and our kids are like I don't know what an app is and what do you mean what's an app I, the, never heard of an app oh it's this stupid thing we used to do where every piece of software had like a different interface and you had like a 200 apps or 300 apps on your phone and you had to remember like what app did what thing and then you had to remember how to use it and where to go to forget it Bottom line is we're we were morons. It took us forever. Like we had the technology for a while to actually get rid of that, but we were 
we were just so used to pogo sticking between apps and uh that that it took us a while to like actually shed that um so yeah yeah i mean a lot of ways that's always been a choice like the fact that we have the architecture the technical architectures that we have not inevitable like the not making composable software you know has a lot of like economic and historical reasoning behind it but um not that's not wasn't the vision of like you know all all uh even operating systems um and i i'm really excited by you know things like the level of adoption that chat gpt has because i think it really opens up like the economic possibility of shifting that paradigm in addition to breaking open this accessibility of people to interact and make and more explicitly understand how the system goes together um but it it was maybe not a choice but not completely inevitable that we have this relatively opaque system that yeah. we have now like we could have made it more legible um and and i think it's exciting that we have the opportunity to to push it in that yeah i now. i'm so glad you brought up composability because i think again in that whole convergence you know you seem to be like playing all my favorite songs digital twins composable architectures <laughs> um composable architectures to me you know that it, it it sort of unlocks this ability now for us to to talk to machines using natural language and deploy things without being like oh wait it has to get involved now we have to provision 10 or 15 machines how many people are going to use it how many conversations do you think it's going to have you know um we have to run it through security blah 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 where now it can just be somebody like creating a spreadsheet someone's like oh, i need a spreadsheet to do x they create it oh a thousand other people want to use that spreadsheet like lotbot's a great example um and it's just immediately shareable and scalable because your architecture doesn't doesn't need an architect to figure out how to deploy this um and yeah it's this convergence of it's awareness it's and, and that kind of leads to like another thing which i don't know if you guys have given much thought thought to which is like ephemeral applications so now we have like applications and code getting like created on the fly just for one-time use which is like crazy in itself so now i'm talking to the machine it actually creates an application just to execute for that one command and then disappears um i don't know if that yeah. if that's something I, I, you guys have played with hey i want to i want to <laughs> go, go back ahead. for a second to the like frictionless deployment mm-hmm. paradigm yeah, please so I I like I I definitely want to believe in that future. But like for example, last night Danny and I pair coded for I don't know half an hour to like uh, fix a header mismatch problem to be able to hit an embeddings index um, mm-hmm. in order to like make a new bot that um, that that's being worked on in, you know have this new capability. Um, and so like I feel like I can kind of like. I can kind of like see past the fog and like I can I can aspire to um, a lot of these frictionless things, but I haven't 
in some ways I haven't felt them yet. And yeah. I, I think that there's, um, that doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of intermediate benefits that I'm feeling and plenty of like um, ways I'm able to help, you know, make uh, technical work I do significantly more understandable to other people I'm collaborating with it on who are not necessarily, you know, able to to speak code. Um, but I, I, I yearn for the composable future and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're going to get there or not, but I, I do hope that we do. Yeah, I mean, it's a continuum. We're getting there in an absolute way. Absolutely agreed. So no way we'll we'll see it in an absolute way. And it kind of comes down to probably that precision problem and the fact that, you know, having machines that are generalized to do anything, you know, doesn't, yeah, doesn't, doesn't really make sense because that sounds limiting more than it sounds like expansive. But, but. You know, I think when you kind of combine this idea of natural language and machines talking natural language, it starts to unlock composability a lot more because, you know, now we're, you know, and the machine can say, hey, you know, light up five, run this Terraform script, write this Terraform script on the fly. <laughs> um, yes. And, and scale this up uh, and notify me if you're going to need more before you max out of space, right? So now it's like, watch my CloudWatch logs or wherever you're using and, you know, inform me of X, Y, and Z. So, so maybe there'll still be that like human component where they got to run in and plug something in or, you know, install something, but, it, but at least like 80% of it, 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 we get out of that space of like, it's either a hundred percent composable because now it's like it's either 100% composable, but 98 is just not at all, right? Like that's that it has to be 100%. And that's, yes. otherwise you, you miss the mark. And that's a tough, tough mark to hit, as you pointed out. Yeah, I think on the fly, um, like written glue code is super, super attractive because that exactly tackles the problems that you're, you're speaking about. And I think that... Um, you know, some of the maybe like core functionality or like, um, yeah, what does that camera do? What does its existence mean? I, mm -hmm. I, I also think there's, there can be advantages to, um, natural language because you can, you can state your intentions about the camera. Like the camera is an object that understands the occupancy of this, um, uh, of, of this parking lot and knows about its history and maybe can predict some things about its future or something like that. Something like that could be the description of the object and that could translate into the offering of services. And maybe those start with like, oh yeah, some image recognition algorithms run on a data feed of a, a, a video. Um, but maybe it's something else in the future, but it still has that sort of like consistent and explicitly stated identity. Um, I don't have like a, a practical example there yet, uh, but that's definitely something I, I think about a lot. And, um, you know, I hope to be able to inch towards in my work in the future. I'm trying to make up like a, like, so the thing that we were just playing, oh, it was like, so it's, we're being grinding through is like, so, you know, um, open it, you know, open is like, uh, the most accessible tool that we had been using. But then of course, with like no fanfare, Google drops, like all this enterprise level, right? Like stuff. 
like, you know, in total silence with, you know, some documentation and some just sort of like automated. We're digging into all that. And I'm just thinking about to test this is like, even OpenAI just like released updates to 3.5 and 4 that like basically are kind of, it's not like you couldn't do it before this idea of like talking to the model and it deploying a function. Okay. But they, they really explicitly made it so that it could return and like talk to functions at the same time that it's talking. Isn't it? And um, I think the test that it's like, it wouldn't work in my, I think it's cheating if we already write a bunch of functions and then it can simply call one. I think we right. need it to figure out what it needs to do to process the data and then create a new Firebase function, like talking straight to like, to the cloud with like, you know, probably like danger level administrative privileges and like create and deploy like some kind of compute instance or function and then execute it to like, just to freak our, just to freak ourselves out. (laughs) But like, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Like how even that like little update, I was like, huh, it's interesting where they're trying to like make it, uh, just like encourage behavior. Yeah. I, yeah. I wanted to go to your ephemeral apps thing. I am, that's my favorite, you know, who knows? Like, I don't really know, you know what's going to happen there. But like, I started like my career doing blueprints for drafting. Okay. And so like, I we deeply believe that like, yeah, like if everybody's like, oh, it's uh, optimistic. Like the AI or it's not AI, the technology won't take our jobs and like, right. trust takes every job ever done <laughs> um and like interact i'm an interaction designer so i've spent like a lot of my time to like making buttons you know like right. doing visual interfaces and the thing that's got me nervous is like in like a good way i guess is just this thought that like it's all just about moving information around and like yeah there's not going to be apps like the minute you know, we had apps because it's like, hey, let's figure out how to charge everybody a dollar and visit a website. Um, but then the minute like you can like Apple or whoever can own the the wallet and like move transactions out of apps, nobody needs apps to right. make money anymore. So like now you're just the services. And yeah, and I, th- I think we all our heads popped a little with the yeah. chat GPT, the plugins thing, just because it was like. They're taking all that and tucking it inside of one interface. Oh, um, so it feels inevitable. It feels like a real moment to have to think hard about what skills uh, like you'd need to design interactions. Yep. Because um, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel like I need to be an, a visual design expert, you know, or the, the pressures are all different. I, I can uh, share a story. Uh, um a while ago, um, I was on a team that kind of focused on the design of the Dreamliner cockpit. Um, and, uh, that I, I always oversimplify the challenge, but it was basically Boeing saying, Hey, we got a carbon fiber frame here, which means we have bigger windows and we've automated the crap out of this airplane. Um, so we need more buttons to fit on less wall space. Oh, so then if you like Google the 747 and the 787 now, you'd like see that 787 is like six iPad looking screens. 747 is like 
buttons everywhere. Everywhere you can fit a button, there's a button or a knob or something. Um, my Our area was like the flight planning part of it. So the two iPad-looking things on the very right that are actually mobile and you can carry them around. Pilots could do their flight planning instead of carrying these like, huge briefcases around and stuff. Um, and and so what, what what it was about was like putting the right buttons on the screens at the right time because we had the flight plan so we could we had this context engine where we could surface the right buttons on the screens um we didn't it, it we wouldn't have changed those buttons into language um that that wouldn't be right like the pressing of a button is still relevant in this whole scenario and remained relevant and interesting to us where language came in wasn't at the front of it like oh great now you can talk to your airplane using natural language like no the first step was predictive like we had a flight plan we knew like the system could guess what you were going to do next or at least narrow down the options significantly enough that we can put it on a couple of screens Neither. and if we failed to to anticipate or we didn't have enough context which was like primary goal number a was predict properly what they were going to do before they needed to do it the fallback was language to go we can't do that we failed to predict we failed to have the context to properly predict now i have to ask them so that i know what buttons to put up um now that that didn't get implemented because this was way back then and you know no way natural language was going into a 787 but but i knew at that moment that you know in a simulator i was able to like take off and land a 787 i could never have done that in a 747 i had no flight training whatsoever i was like okay the world's definitely going to change natural language comes in and i'm like oh my god this is like we don't have a flight plan like except for like gps's we don't have a flight plan for our lives so how is it going to get that context? How are we going to drive that context engine? Oh, great. Natural language now like can help fill that gap until the systems can predict better. Like you don't have to come and see if there's a parking space available. I'm just going to like prompt you and say, Hey, it's Tuesday. You go to the office around this time. There's a spot. Do you want me to grab it for you? You know, like it, it you are like, one inch away from there's no way you didn't talk about that right <laughs> and and yeah. so yeah i i'm i'm sort of you know super interested in a world where the what i call micro uis are still embedded in the conversation they're still coming they're still threaded through it we still have it's the tufty stuff like there's just stuff that's data heavy that you want to put in as small a space as you can. And eyes are still a higher bandwidth than language. And so when we got to communicate a lot of data really fast, like visual is our answer to that. So I think it's just this, like, it just, those visual elements don't need to be spread, like hidden across a phone behind apps. They just need to be embedded in the conversation. And so I think the apps are still there, essentially. They're just contextualizing the conversation and 
possibly drawn on the fly using some best practices, but I think in a lot of times not drawn on the fly because that human prediction machine is still going to need to be around for a long time in terms of like what you want to see and how you want to see it. And Yeah, I, I think this actually um, relates to some of the things we were talking about earlier and also some reflections I have on some of my 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 pre-IDEO work where I um, helped design and um, implement large interactive installations to so sort of like the pre-last week's meaning of spatial computing, like right. creating a bespoke interface embedded at an architectural scale that was meant to express uh, some not intangible or non-physical information that was relevant to that space. Um, and I think like that work was really satisfying and it also took forever. Like we would start having a conversation with an institution who wanted to express something and had a space and then we would, you know, like uh, imagine the the technology that we would need and we would have to imagine the, the physical uh, infrastructure to support that technology and then we'd have to build all of it and then we'd have to install it and then we'd have to, you know, test it with people along the way and see how it worked and make sure that the, the content could be updated. It was all so extraordinarily specific um, and laborious. And I think one really exciting um, leap forward is this ability to have the context be so fluid, the contextual understanding of where people are, what they want, um, and what their space around them can offer them um, to hopefully make experiences that are, are just as rich as some of the ones that I worked on for places like museums and libraries just be our normal environments that that we we walk around every day yeah. um yeah the like xerox park dream of 1991 yeah <laughs> we can finally get it so i want to circle back to that question i had like lot bot and lot jail what what do you think like why hasn't it gone at why hasn't it like expanded and and like taken over connected into the twin that you created and you know started sort of expanding its scope um is this just the case of like kind of no clients going to pay for that <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I I mean I, I definitely feel like you hit on like if I was worrying about like the prop like turning it into a product it should just it shouldn't be a chat bot it should be a camera that ha that chats I definitely agree um I I guess it's in it's in lot jail because I'm personally anti like caring about like ambition. <laughs> Sorry, don't quote me. I'm just like because I have like there's lot we'll bots. There's my, well. like, and I'm like, lot bots doing good, and I'm happy with all lot bot. And I do I do enjoy sometimes. It, introducing myself as like the parking lot manager at my job. <laughs> yeah, you'd lose that yeah, joke. There's something, there's something about like mundane things that fascinates me. And like this, the idea of going after like the bigger thing is like, uh, I don't know why, but I feel like it is a pollutant. <laughs> Cause I'm Got like, it. we're always looking for the bigger idea. And I, I keep thinking with all the AI stuff, I'm like, yeah, but what can it, 
do for like that's not important <laughs> and, and like i actually think i and i don't like i'm not super articulate around this but i'm just like i feel like that might be really important you know um changing the like, little like everyday things um, i so agree yeah, and like that's not where the conversation tends to like hover right it's it's around places where all the the value is flowing so a lot of the conversations around ai tend to like move around you know like productivity tools like it, which is to me just like obvious like right because you get paid like it's close to the the transaction like that's where money exchanges is around productivity and stuff so we're talking about it around really close to money and i'm like the the, the phrase that i really like that relates to ephemeral apps and to ai and all this i think is like i made it myself i'm not a developer thank goodness that people like jenna exist near me mm. right to help me and and i won't deny that the, this is a crazy moment to be like that because the co-pilot factor of ai is awesome but this phrase folk ui or folk ai this idea just everybody can just whip up their own is like exciting and so like to me the idea is i made lotbot and i will delete lotbot and somebody else will make something else is exciting. It is, Lotbot might just be an ephemeral app. Is like I guess the answer. It seems like there could be a flip side though, where like Lotbot starts gaining more and more capabilities that are at first tangential to the lot, and then kind of start branching out. Like it's, you know, helping incoming clients with a rental car and where they should stop to get breakfast on their way to their parking spot, which kind of raises a, a couple of interesting questions because you mentioned earlier like you had Lotbot and the gargoyle, kind of existing as separate bots. But then when you have, like if Lotbot all of a sudden had like a whole big suite of skills, like is it still Lotbot or is it something bigger? And should there, we talk about this a bit in the book, like the idea of a concierge bot, which um, is a bot like ideally that would be there to like guide people to the right sub bot. But does that sub bot need a name? Like the concierge figures out what they need and can connect them with the, a bot to do that. But yeah, it becomes this weird a question of how you're going to parse up all your bots and how do you talk about your bots and what do you call them all? Can I? Yeah. I think that's actually like a really interesting connection back to like questions about composability that's and what it. it means for some of these technical processes to suddenly be way more accessible. Like it, it, it I, I suspect that there's value in exposing the system and helping people like grapple with how the parts actually work and speak to each other and then therefore be able to give input uh, and redesign where those boundaries actually exist. Um, so one of the reasons why I love having the Cargoyle and the Lotbot is that you get not just, you know, people who have access to the back end, but everybody who interacts with it a little bit more understanding. Now, obviously, like you don't want to, you need to chunk things at some point. Um, but I, I do think that like some of this anthropomorphization stuff can be really helpful when it's in service of understanding how the system works, right? A... Um, like we, we think of our cats as people in some ways and we think of our Roombas as people in some ways and, <laughs> you know, um, generally useful ways and i think that there's an opportunity to leverage our like understanding of other people um to get better comprehension of 
um, these more abstract technical systems now too with with natural language. Yeah, we have like rants about the anti-anthropomorphism sort of talk because it's just like basically by telling people not to anthropomorphize things, you're, I mean, all humans understand things at the end of the day through metaphor. Right. And you're basically just trying to remove like a, a very useful way to understand things from people. But I'll, can I say anthropomorphically why I like Lotbot getting more skills is like, that is such a, a funny like story of like this bot with humble origins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> started out in the it's mail like, room and thing. made its way to the C suite. Like, still... <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to always be spinning the same like instance and then like eventually run the yeah, company. Yeah, but it's still called Lotbot. <laughs> still... <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's still Lotbot. <laughs> yeah. Danny, that's an ambition I think we can both get behind. <laughs> yeah, or running the company, orchestrate the Lotbot takeover, uh, succession. Yeah, the succession. Yeah. succession. Yeah, you got three bots jockeying for control. Yeah, there's three bots fighting over the <laughs> yeah future huh. CEO position at IDEO. <laughs> well, like, anthropomorphism is really interesting to us. Uh, we we talk about it a lot, and I I think in the case of Lotbot, there are some interesting points because. There is something like strangely comforting about a grouchy parking lot attendant. And so the fact that Lotbot was a little, sounds like he was a little, or, or it was a little cantankerous, makes sense in a way. But uh, if I understand it right, like Lotbot did kind of turn a corner with some people in terms of like how they were perceiving yeah, it we as, as uh, having an agenda or like these human-like traits, which which can become problematic too. So, so it is that that fine line, right? That you're always trying to kind of, kind of walk there. So, I think there, and even we should get into that. But I think an even more interesting thing has happened because of the flexibility of um, of our new large language model tools, and that's that um, Danny started sourcing the personality of Lotbot from the community. So, community members were able to like describe the way they would like Lotbot to act. And then we could, you know, Danny could easily prompt engineer that yes, into the bot itself. And then there would be this interesting crossfade moment where it shifted personalities and sort of everyone could see that and, and participate in Lotbot's existence in this like oh, wow. yeah, pretty compelling way. Fa favorite weird side effect that it got like, it was so weird was Lotbot was really grumpy. Then I had it be like a shoegazer because I, <laughs> the, the problem nice in the old model it was safe, grumpy because I wrote every possible yeah, you know like you write fifteen versions of a sentence thing. With the LLMs, it's like I I ran into this issue um, where I tell it to just I I only tell it to be a jerk basically right like on borderline like hostile almost. I didn't use that language. I just said be very grumpy right like <laughs> all caps etc and like categorically if you're like carving up the internet yeah. of all possible human phrase phrases and ways of being it was just gonna be grumpy about every little thing in your sentence and that meant if you didn't speak english but were speak it saw english before that's a difference and that's something it can be annoyed about right yeah. and so it would call it out and and it started saying we're just being racist was like like one of the points nobody it didn't happen to anybody yet but i dm'd it because i was like whoa this thing's like really it's just like so reactive so i was dming it and I'm, i said can i get a parking spot but i said it in spanish and it just replied to me 
um, it said, no hable español, uh, speak English or I'll tow your car. <laughs> so, oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It is funny because it was like, what the heck? Um, just because like that's so such a real way to be a racist jerk. <laughs> it's yeah, like surprising. Yeah. So, so basically I'm like, oh man, like how hard is this going to be to fix? And like, does that mean I can't even do grumpy anymore, et cetera? You know, like there's all oh, these yeah. wishes that I had. I don't want to be like, I don't like these like little, uh, you know, the bot like fakes all nice or acts all neutral. I do not enjoy that they lobotomized Bing, et cetera. Right. So, um, so basically, you know, Jenna and I had a conversation around how intentional we have to be. And I'm like, oh, it's like, of course, to understand it anthropomorphically. I'm like, right, if you have a kid and you tell your kid to be a jerk uh, or you, you tell your kid how to be in life, you, there's th- you tell them things to not be. <laughs> or you, you right. mention you can do some things, right? So basically, if you're going to tell a bot to be grumpy, you need to like suggest boundaries there. Because it has none, right? Like it's not like, and it's necessarily it's default to just be grumpy. You're telling it to be. What do you mean by grumpy? Right. So it was pretty simple. Like for for solving that one problem was like you're a very grumpy multilingual chatbot. And the minute I added that word multilingual, like after exploring some other things, it just like no longer complained about people speaking other languages, and it actually enjoyed mixing in languages and. So it's just this, I, you know, it's like a very simple example yeah. of like how more intentional you have to be. If you're going to like play with it and go and go there, you're going to really have to be careful. Like, yeah, you tell your, the chat GPT will tell you like grumpy yet lighthearted, yeah. you know, yeah. like you, yeah. you kind of got to like be really explicit. We with want the lovable things. crank yeah, Jen, archetype. I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know, Jenna, if you're connecting in the same way I am with this, but it's just like. Oh wait, that's coding. Prompting is yeah. just coding. This is, <laughs> yeah, it's just oh, you got to be precise in your code. Oh, good idea. Let's do that. Um, and and the only reason we're not precise is because it's language, right? And so we're used to not being precise. And so we're gonna we're dropping as programmers, we sort of drop the precision just because we change language. But to your point, some level of precision is still necessary, and and then the prediction, right? Like, oh, I don't think only a human had a chance at predicting that that would happen. You know, <laughs> um, not that, not that a human could in all cases, but you know, the idea that 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 system could be designed to have predicted what that outcome for you is, is far fetched. Um, but but now you could on any other system you built you could see like, oh, there's a level of precision that you need to hit with your prompting. And you could look at a prompt and say, not precise enough. You could look at a prompt and say, too precise. Um, and and so we're like, oh, wow, is is prompt engineering just coding? I mean, well, I think this is like, this is like, okay. I'm like very excited about this. And I'm also not sure of the real impact or outcome in the real world, but I am super stoked to think that in the same way that like I can write a computer program and execute it and I have to be precise enough for my environment to actually 
you know, run it and I can see the output and check if it met my expectations or not, or even write a system to check for me. You know, with with these with large language models, we can potentially write down relatively precisely, but in understandable language, what our intentions are. Like if we want to be multilingual, if we want to be um, accepting of, you know, whatever different characteristics of people we want to be accepting of or um, different language styles or different levels of education or, or what, whatever, uh, different times of day. But we might need to understand how to actually write down those intentions specifically and then see what happens. It's, it's not just like a abstract mission statement. It's not just don't be evil, right? We have to actually get specific about what we mean and then see the consequences of meeting those things. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping that sort of the like joy I get out of things like debugging can translate into really helping people think through their value systems um, and, and yeah, how they, how they or their organizations yeah. want to be in the world. I mean, it's interesting from a language standpoint, as you pointed out, like, um, I'm asking somebody to speak English because you don't understand their language in a polite way is okay. Asking somebody to speak English because you don't understand their language in a rude way is not okay and <laughs> is racist. <laughs> but asking them to change languages is not in itself inherently racist. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, threading you know, you that needle. Do. It's like it seems like it's all about providing context, right? And and now we have so many more opportunities to go in and provide systems with relevant context that could be general context about how you interact with anyone in a client group or an employee group, but then it can start funneling down. Like Thanks. this person prefers to be interacted with in this manner, and here's some things that you should yeah. be aware of when asking them certain questions. Yeah. And this is why I kind of am a big believer in, like I'm sort of, like, you know, I really don't believe in the concept of general intelligence as like a single algorithm that's going to rule everything. I really just see that Lotbot will exist and somebody will tune it with the nuances of of that skill and then people will create other skills. Skills will just ephemerally appear, but all within context, designed in context. And then they'll just appear in a UI that's holistic that makes it appear like it's a singularity, but there's no singularity at all that really happened other than the fact that everything's talking in one language, um, which is the same kind of singularity that would happen if the whole world spoke. Oh, wait, what's that language? Pigeon? We all, uh, Pigeon? It, we Esperanto. Could go, oh, Esperanto. Esperanto. Yeah, that's right. Esperanto, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I can't tell. Um, you know, the thing that happened right after the Lotbot thing is like I made some more prototypes, but like at a concert, like I was gonna make them so people could like talk to them, you know. And uh, like, there's a hotline, like a phone number you could call for like a critique or something. And like the thing that I started creating after realizing what can happen, it's really hard for me to predict all of the things that somebody could sort of prompt, right? And this idea of like saying multilingual is like, I've solved one bug that I've discovered, but I don't know all of them, right? And that's the other challenge with Lotbot at scale, grumpy Lotbot at scale. <laughs> like, but I ended up creating, it's, I, I'm sure 
I'd be really interested to learn about this. I don't know anything about the a human mind when you say think before you speak, like which parts of your brain are firing off, but I'm going to bet they're not the same part. <laughs> yeah. And like, basically what I was doing was like, okay, I'm going to take whatever the text you, you do. OpenAI has a free moderation endpoint that checks for like hate, all sorts of like mm-hmm. basic filters. First hit that. If it passes that test, then I'll let it engage with the normal chatbot, if you will. Um, then the chatbot will reply. Then I'm going to send that out evaluation again. Absolutely. You know, like by a new, this third-party service. Then it's going to come back and give me the okay. Then I will talk. Yeah. And that's a very software way to think. And I think even if we think we get rid of it's all NLP, the only reason we're going to be able to do that is because we forfeited all of those controls to a company like an open AI who's uh-huh. doing all like the only way they're going to, the only way they're going to pull this off and not get in trouble all the time is like, they're doing all those like round trips. Right. And like, I, I'm still like up in the air of like, do I want to sort of like get in, do I want to know how to do those myself or not? Yeah. Um, and then they're like all these, you know, but what if everybody at most, most of our conversations are predicated on not trusting everybody with <laughs> all yeah. these tools. So How, did you guys ever, uh, I, I don't know if I'm always looking for good ideas here. I think one of the, the, the biggest challenges with a single UI on all your software, even if that UI is embedded with micro UIs, um, discovery. So the moment that um you know you add a feature the the nice thing about graphical uis is you add a feature and in, in, in a lot of cases you can see it and so you you can that whole browse and find and explore that you can do visually and you're like oh this is new um and in conversation you know that's really tough and so one day you try something it doesn't work you, you never, you don't keep trying it to see if someday that functionality was added. Um, and you know, I've, I kind of, I've positioned this to a lot of folks, like still looking for the silver bullet on this one. Have you guys seen any or, or tried anything that really you thought was a super clever solution to this? Okay. So this is kind of like basic and ancient, um, but. I like to think about command line interfaces Those and the power that they can have, great model. In yeah. especially professional tools, right? Like I'm among among other programs that I used heavily, I use uh, Rhino, which is a 3D modeling tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I learn about new releases of Rhino, and actually the way I learned it first was I read the command list and I just learned its words. Um, and I didn't remember all of them, but they all sort of like washed over my brain. And then actually I was able to later when I was thinking about like, oh, I wish I could interact with, with points in this way because they're relatively well-named uh, commands. I would think back to my you know previous perusal and get inspired to try something. Um, and honestly, a way that felt much more natural to me than menu diving. I think menu diving is kind of like the the opposite trap uh, in the indiscoverability from, you know, only using conversation or words. Um, And I I do think there's an opportunity to kind of converge um, 
concepts that people already use in their everyday language with what you want to offer um, through your interface and um, let discovery be, you know, <clears throat> understanding similarities between existing interactions and the sort of slightly new ones that, that you're, you're hoping for. Um, what does that do to like actually new paradigm shifting capabilities or features or, or ideas? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think that solves for that. Um, right. But I think, I think leveraging general understanding can, can really help a lot. The Rhino example is kind of awesome because I it's it is like a it is like a search model almost or like I guess like I I just typed I I've never used the menus in it you just start typing the word that you hope happens like okay. man it would be so nice if that tool would be updated with like a more semantic you know you could just describe what you want to happen and yes the um the thing that's exciting about all of this is like so if 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 we can go totally pure Siri I, I'm not I don't think we will it's like nature has both deciduous tree it has both flowers that go come and go oh, and God. rocks and so like this is why it's like a pretty good moment to be an architect because it's like there's buildings we're still gonna we don't know what the what the new container will want to be there's furniture you can like move it in and out and then there's just like food and stuff you know that or flowers that just die and go away. And I guess we don't know what any of it's going to be now because like the fact that it could all be reduced to like a total mobile town, mm -hmm. you know, like there's no, there's nothing fixed. That's probably not going to be true, but like the fact that you can move the town and like set up the wells somewhere else, like kind of a, kind of an exciting time. Um, you know, like every maybe we need this moment for everything to just like evaporate for a second. I, I wish this would happen with everything. I wish all of our Slack channels would get deleted. <laughs> Salesforce, I think Salesforce did this thing that was awesome to me, where they like canceled all meetings at the beginning of the year, and I'm like, yes, societal. Everybody Reset. gets zero in. <laughs> Everyone out of the pool. Yeah, it feels like a yeah. there's a possibility too where. Uh, you know, people will probably become accustomed to interacting through conversational interfaces with certain brands or companies they interact with every day. But then it seems likely that at some point people will start kind of having their own little OSs that manage their own lives. And then where, where, how do those overlap? Like, uh, if, if I can, if I'd rather speak with my own personal assistant that can then talk to all these other bots or interact with these other companies, do I, do I even, care that they have an interface that's available to me and i, and I suppose yeah. that seems like it's like a blanketing thing but then there's all sorts of lumps under that blanket yeah yeah i think there's there's like that brings up for me questions of like understanding your identity so we like we we talked briefly earlier about the the bot that rewrites my own speech <laughs> in more. certain slack channels and like <laughs> I know where that code is. Like I can like, it's actually open in a tab somewhere in my computer right now. I can read it and understand it as like not part of me, but also it genuinely feels like part of me in some significant way. So as we, as we develop, yeah, these our own personal operating systems or ways of interacting with this information, like where, where will we be cutting our mental models for who I am and who you are? And right. I mean, I suspect that might be a more fluid boundary and maybe it can even, you know, come to encompass other 
mm-hmm. humans um, more more or less uh, over time. Wait, if you lose yeah. connectivity, are you just lost in the middle of nowhere? Uh, Rob uses the yes. GPS model a lot. Like if you're if you're just driving using GPS and not totally paying attention, and then it cuts out, you're sort of like adrift. Um, I don't know what to eat for dinner. Totally. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I'll just people just standing still. Looking around, lost, shoegazing. Like <laughs> I use it for shopping, for like figuring out like groceries and like food plan. And I get nervous. Actually, it was so good, and now I'm worried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, extended cognition isn't like a new I- idea, right? No. There's like the um, the like uh, Clark and Chalmers stuff from the '90s, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, like you know, like I wear I wear things on my body. Yep. Uh, I have like a hormonal implant in my arm. I'm surrounded by all of these interfaces that feel in some ways like extensions yep. of my body. Um, and still, you make your own. Yeah, clothes. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, I get my computers to to help me make them. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit. Maybe that's the future, right there. Like that. That's what. That's what you can be paid to make your own clothes. Um. I, I have a, I, I, my thought, and I, I think it's a big problem. It's a, I think it's a big problem discovery. I think it's a, I think it's a hard problem to solve, but I do have a proposal for what might work. And it kind of dates back to the, my work with the Boeing, right? Like if I can automate that airplane, we could automate a lot of things. So, and it came down to that kind of combining what you guys said, the digital twin meets Lotbot, and if if the digital twin can now ha- give Lotbot the context to predict that prediction, like you don't have to ask for a spot, I can start like offering up things I can do. That's how you can discover new things is not by waiting for people to request them, but by getting ahead of those things. Oh, that's super annoying when it gets it wrong. It's like autocomplete, like your friend that can finish your sentences, but wrong, <laughs> but it's the, you know, obviously that's a, that's a, you know, a a careful thing we got to, we got to thread that needle um, on. But, but I think that that prediction is kind of where it lies is, you know, waking up and it offering, because I think it's what we do as humans. Like, you know, you learn something new and you just, you offer it at the right time though. You don't just, you know, well, I guess on Facebook they just post it now, and yeah. it's just like, "Hey, I can." A lot of I can now knit sweaters. Great, you can I one? Can I one? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think there's. It, it might be an answer. Is that context? I don't know. That's totally. A... I mean that that reminds me of like um, Patty Mays at the Media Lab. Um, I took like one class from her many years ago, um, but that sort of just in time interface was a big theme of you know how can we how can we understand enough to provide that extra information or context to help the person you know perform their next task uh just before if they need they need access it's like it's a powerful it's like you know when you feel like somebody's anticipating your needs that's like also a way that somebody may or may not like think that you care for them right <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, a really, it? It really you know touches me. You people. get me. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think when technology does that, it's inevitable that people are feeling that feel. If they, if they can get mad at you when you, when a human doesn't do it or something, 
then right. they're Probably. gonna have the same rever- the reverse feeling when like their Roomba does right. So yeah, yeah. yeah. it's funny. It's it's like a, like another level of like that's when we go from like liking our technology to loving it, like mm-hmm. transmittally loving it because it predicts exactly what you wanted right before you wanted it. Yeah, thinking have it to loves ask. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I guess that makes yeah, like discoverability. Like show of love, right? Yeah, discoverability is just yeah. intrinsically linked to to providing context, like. You yeah, to roll out, show these new features and capabilities at the right time. Yeah, and people remember them and use them, perhaps. But yeah, well, we talked about love, digital twins. Yeah, machines <laughs> talking, discovery. <laughs> we could probably keep going on for the rest of the day, but I know everybody's got stuff to do and bots to build. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. we do. I guess we you have sure to get hard oil, hard oils going again. So yeah, this is a beautiful conversation, <laughs> yes. though. We really, really appreciate both of you taking the yeah. time to be with us today. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Thank you. It's fun. Great. Love how deep you guys are into this. Just really, really cool. Yeah, I feel like we should pick up these threads again sometime soon. <laughs> sure. I'll, we'll we'll um we'll do something with card oils and and ping you. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> get a cargo oil. Sounds great. <laughs> See everybody. All right. All right. Thanks again for hanging out with us right here on Invisible Machines. Please subscribe to UX Magazine wherever you get your podcasts so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they come out. If you want to watch new episodes, and I recommend you do, the, the video feeds are really pretty amazing. Follow the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. And I think that's all I have for you this week. So let's go ahead and look forward to next week when we will connect again right here on Invisible Machines. Mm